0: Thanks for joining us on the Equipping You podcast. Our prayer is that this podcast will encourage and equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. For more information about the Christ-centered Acts 1-8 Alliance family, visit equippingyou.org.
1: Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season 10, episode four. Coming to you today from Columbus, Ohio, home of the famous magician, Howard Thurston, who once turned a box of candy into a rabbit and once made a horse and rider
2: disappear. Huh. Wow. He's so famous. I've never heard of him. I haven't either. (laughs) But now I have, and you have too. Maybe he was the
1: rider that disappeared. Maybe he was. Maybe he made himself disappear. I'm Terry, Church Ministries leader for the Alliance,
2: and I'm Alan, Director of Development for the Eastern PA Alliance. And
1: uh, today, Alan, we're going to be talking to Jim Jim Putman. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you've had exposure to Jim's ministry through a book he wrote and
2: through uh, Exponential.
1: Yeah. Talk about Jim.
2: Yeah, I uh, you know saw his book quite a number of years ago, Disciples Shift in terms of making shifts that actually help you intentionally make disciples in your church. Uh, And then, you know, I've been to the Exponential Conference, I don't know, five or six times, and sat in a few of his. But more importantly, not just his seminars, but seminars led by people that he's equipped and discipled, which kind of, you know, sends home the point of it. Yep. Uh, And uh, it's been really helpful. It's one of those things you're sitting there saying, man, this is so much simpler than we make it. Why do we complicate things so bad and then not get the fruitful results that he gets by staying simple? Absolutely. Yeah, so I love that.
1: So looking forward to that conversation. Grab yourself a cup of, well, let's say a glass of Kroger Zero Sugar Decaf Iced Tea. That sounds like no fun at all. You're right, but it tastes pretty good, especially when you can't drink it. Zero sugar, decaf, what is the point? Everything good has been extracted out of it. Sit back, relax. Here we go. And it's our pleasure to welcome to Equipping You Podcast today, Jim Putman. Jim, great to have you with us. We appreciate you taking the time today.
0: It's great to be here. Thank you.
1: So, uh, we like to help our listeners get to know our guests. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your family.
0: Uh, well, my wife is, her name is Lori and we've been married for 35 years. I have, uh, three sons. Um, all of them married, uh, six grandkids, all, all of them have at least one and and uh, been uh, we I was in ministry for 10 years in youth ministry before I moved here. And in 1998, we planted a church called uh, Real Life Ministries with a couple of families in a house. So, been here in North Idaho for uh, 25 years. It's our 25 year anniversary this uh, this fall.
2: Fantastic, love it. That sounds really similar. I've been married for thirty-five years this year, and we planted a church twenty-five years ago, having his twenty-fifth anniversary as well. Wow, we are, wow, we are in sync already, Jim. This is great.
0: Well, I look like I've been doing this for that long. You don't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> ah, cameras can be deceiving. Sometimes they help us. So don't 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 read yeah. into that too much. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm looking he, at he, him. He, I'm looking at him right here, uh, Jim. He looks old. Oh. You do not look old on your screen, so don't sweat that. Uh. Hey, uh, so tell us about uh, uh, how you came to faith in Christ. We always love the part of the story.
0: Well, my my dad was a pastor, uh, but he was a first-generation believer. He and him, my mom both. And so um, my dad and mom have always been super sincere about their faith, but no one discipled them. Uh, about how to balance family, home, all that. So, um, you know, my my parents had a hard time drawing the distinction between I'm serving, you know, saying no to the church, but not to God. So I, I had a pretty hard, we moved every two years, very few boundaries. And my dad grew over time. But when I was young, uh, the church kind of took precedence and, and precedent and we, we were um, you know poor family both parents had to work somebody's living in a parsonage somebody stopping at the I don't remember at dinner that there wasn't a phone call somebody at the door uh, because my both my parents had to work uh, things got into my house at a very young age that shouldn't get involved shouldn't be in houses kind of left unprotected so to speak and it started a pathway of life that eventually led to addiction, um, atheism, rejection of God, rejection of church. Um, But my dad never gave up, continued to pursue me, kept a relationship uh, with me. And, you know, he grew and and began to change in some of the ways he saw things. And, and that led to me being willing to hear some of the is, you know, is alcoholism and all the stuff. Uh, went where it goes. Those friends I thought were my friends weren't my friends, and and I've destroyed my life. And there they are—the ones that I've hurt the most—are still there,
2: wow.
0: and still on a solid ground and footing. And and uh, I was a uh, national champion in high school wrestling, three-time college all-American, all that. And pretty soon, when my life's falling apart, I'm losing potentially the scholarship and and addiction has taken over that led to me being willing to hear why uh, i i I believe that no scientist believed in god but then he started sending me articles from scientists who did believe in god so my journey went okay no god okay well there is a god i think there is a god can't be the christian god but which one and so then my dad sent me a book from josh mcdowell and I was a history major in college and talked about how you know, a, a, an ancient book is historical fiction or, or, you know, nonfiction, how, how do you know, and so I started, uh, he, he I kind of thought, you know, that's a really good idea to study Christianity, or all religions on the basis of historiography, which, if they're true, then historically, not just uh, metaphysical mythology, then, you know, Which one, and and anyway, so it led me to, okay, Christianity is historically reliable, which did not make me feel good, (laughs) I went, okay, I'm going to hell, there's no way I can get out of it, which led to the gospel, so my dad shared the gospel with me, and then it went, okay, I'll accept Jesus, but I won't accept the church, which led to my disciple maker saying, listen, you can't say you love Jesus if you don't love the church, Mm. it's his his bride. Yeah. Um, which led to, Jim, you're saved from something for something. God has good works for you to do in the church. Which led to, you know, a, a season of going through this process of believing that the church was important first. And then believing I had a part in it. And then believing, you know, any I had the benefit of being discipled hmm. uh, into the process of, of of finding my place in the church, which then eventually led to ministry. And uh, and so now I, 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 I said, okay, I accept Jesus, but never his church. Then I went, okay, I'll accept the church, but I'll never be a pastor. Then I said, okay, I'll be a pastor. I'll never be a church planner. And now I just keep my big fat mouth shut. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's very wise. I am married uh, to a woman who said she would not marry, be a pastor's wife. And then she said, "Well, I could marry a youth pastor that's okay <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, guess what happens to a lot of youth pastors yeah, they become pastors they do that's so funny so in the goodness
1: uh, and grace of God Jim he he gives us people who influence us in helpful ways leaders who influence our leadership uh, so who's been helpful to you in becoming the leader you are today
0: well, you know my father uh was the most important person in me coming to know Christ and in the discipleship process. And again, he, I didn't, he didn't disciple me so much when I was young um, because I wasn't willing or he, you know, was too busy doing other things. And then he kind of like, what am I doing? And he made some change in his life. And, um, and then you know, he helped me find my place. In in um, he said, "Listen, Jim, I understood sports. I was an athlete, and part of my reason for not wanting to be in the church is I thought of the church as a losing team."
2: Wow!
0: And um, I actually wrote a book. My first book I wrote is called "Church as a Team Sport," and oh. and I talk about um, my kind of my journey, but. My, one of my big struggles was um, if if the church is God's team uh, how can I believe there's a good God who knows what he what he's doing about my life when he's developed something that works so poorly that doesn't win that that, that you know how can you claim that, God is intelligent about your life when you look at the church and think that represents him. And it's it's just, it doesn't win. It doesn't reach the lost. It doesn't keep the ones it's got. It doesn't change behaviors. It doesn't raise up people who, who actually even disciple their own homes. It doesn't, you know. You, 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 so I just didn't have a good view of the church. And, you know, my dad said, hey, Jesus didn't say the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against a church. It said it wouldn't prevail against his church. So what you need to do is go. You need to decide and go through Scripture and figure out what is His church, and what does that look like, and then, and then maybe God wants you to be a part of of closing the gap between what is and what should be. And I just didn't see that as a possibility, and so that was part of the discipleship process. So, when it comes to leadership and even disciple making, my dad asked this question: Who? What would you say you're a disciple of? Hmm. And I said wrestling. And he said, okay, what did that disciple maker do in your life, and how did he do it um, to make you a disciple of wrestling? Understanding that a disciple of wrestling is going to learn to wrestle, not just know information about wrestling.
2: Hmm, Yeah
0: not just know the rule book, you're going to actually be able to wrestle against a moving target. And, you know, my dad said, Jim, coaching is all throughout the scriptures. Jesus was a coach. Paul was a coach. Ephesians 4 says that he created pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, to equip God's people for works of service. The goal is to raise up people who can play and even coach, not to it raise up spectators. Yeah. And so if you think if you think that the church isn't led by coaches, teachers inform people about things, coaches teach them to do something, you know? And so you need to go, who helped you to do that? And understand that those guys were actually following the biblical model of coaching better than pastors often do. So what did you learn to do it, do, how, how did they teach you to do that? And now, now you're coaching wrestling, right? So you were a wrestler, you learned to coach, you learned to coach other people, now you're coaching, and now you're taking – that. that's the way the church was supposed to be. So maybe you're supposed to take these lessons from what the, the sports world taught you and apply them to the church. And maybe that that God's pathway to get you to be some sort of a reformer here, not on a big sense, but in your own personal life, had to do with taking you out of the church to bring you back to the church and so it, it, there was this journey I had to go through
2: mm-hmm. yeah that's good so my my
0: heroes in the are, are mostly coaches out there, not necessarily pastors there's been some pastors that that have played a part in in the process. And I've taken piecemeal, but most of what I believe about all of that comes more from what I see in the New Testament applied by people who actually do it in other fields because most of the people who are leading God's teams are not coaching the way the New Testament coaches did or the way coaches are doing it in other areas. Yeah.
2: No, that's good. I appreciate that. That's good insight, and it makes a difference. I'm wondering, you know, we had... We invite you to be on the podcast because of your work in uh, planting and pastoring churches who make disciples who make disciples. I mean, that's, that's your, that is your thing, man. You are right focused on that, and uh, I've heard you say that in a lot of different settings. So in your opinion, what keeps churches from making disciples who make disciples?
0: Well, there's, there's several things. Um, the Bible taught, says that a house divided against itself, Jesus said a house divided against itself can't stand it. Uh, Tower of Babel shows but at one point these guys could do anything. God changes one thing. And now the same exact people the next day can't complete the task. He changed uh-huh. the language. So having an alignment around a language and a goal and a purpose that the, the leaders that everybody's bought into, believes in, and is practicing, Um is a major problem Mm. uh we we train churches in our in our relational discipleship network and ds1 discipleship one um, based on the book Discipleship. Um, first of all you will sit them down what pastors and their whole teams come and and we used to do this where we always say without talking to each other you're sitting at the table with your team everybody take a piece of paper out and i want you to define this what is a mature disciple how often do you think we get a church all on the same team defining that term the same way?
2: Not too often.
0: Okay, so what you've got is you don't have alignment about even what your goal is. You don't even you don't have alignment about how to define the terms. Even terms are defined in different ways. I mean, every pastor knows the world defines love differently than God's Word does. The devil doesn't mind us using terms as long as he gets to help define them differently than God intended. Yeah. Um, And so even church, people define church differently. What are their expectations from a church? Um, What is a church's role? What is the mission of the church? If you can't be aligned, you can't win. And every coach knows that. Mm -hmm. Every team knows that. The coaches don't even understand their role. What success is, it's not to gather a crowd, it's to raise up a a team. So, a lot of times, church, here's the head, and and the pastor's the tip of the spear, and everybody who's on the team's job is to help the pastor do his ministry. That is unbiblical. It's supposed to be the this these people are being launched into the world. The pastor's job is to equip these people so that they launch into the community. Success isn't how many you you gather to for a show or how much information you transfer. It's how many people can actually live that out and launch into everywhere they work, live and play. So yeah. pastors have the wrong goals, people don't have the same definitions, and then the methodology. For developing disciples who actually can do ministry uh, wherever they work, live and play, make disciples, their methodology doesn't work. So even if they have the same terminology, their methodology for helping people actually come to be mature in Christ doesn't actually work. So I'll use this example. What if I, in wrestling, as a wrestling coach, use, use the church's methodology for making disciples the regular churches so once a week i'm going to have a a lesson and uh, when we come together i'm going to sing we're going to have songs singing about wrestling
2: (laughs) do we have to wear a singlet when we sing
0: (laughs) and what if i get up in front of the crowd of wrestlers and i have them all sit there and i bring up somebody and i show them a single leg here's a single leg. let me show you a single leg this is how you do a single leg Next week, come back, I'll show you a double leg. Um, and so I'm gonna help you sing about, we're gonna have a little crack, cause you know, wrestlers are always cutting weight. We need a little bit of cracker to eat with a little bit of juice. <laughs> know. Uh, what is the best that methodology is ever going to get? Informed spectators yeah. that knows the, like, oh, that's a single leg. Can they actually do a single leg? Can they actually do something on a moving target on a, against an enemy? Yeah. Uh, at best, they'll go home and they'll get with their little brother and sister or somebody and they'll go, I'm going to show you. And and they think they're doing what they, they hurt themselves. They hurt other people. They don't do it well. But what if I used wrestling as my example for what we do in the church? I'm going to show you a move. Then I'm going to break into groups. I'm going to show you how to do the move yourself. We're going to start slow. We're going to speed things up. And you're going to learn to hit a moving target. We're going to break into groups. There's going to be individual coaching. And the winning is that you actually are able to do this yourself. And to come to the point where you can do it and actually show your kids, somebody else to do it, we create ways of, and what if we were to, and every coach knows that the method, every, like every journeyman in, in one of the trades knows You don't just do it, and they sit there, and somehow they learn how to do it. But in the church, our methodology produces something completely different than what God intended. And if you don't get back to doing it Jesus' way, as well as teaching what he taught, you're never going to—you know, you can't divorce the teachings of Jesus from the methods of Jesus to get the results of Jesus. That's a good word.
1: True. Good word. So give us a definition of disciple, Jim.
0: Well, the way we do it, we want it to be simple but expandable. We say it this way in our church. In the invitation is the definition. When Jesus invited the disciples to be disciples, he said, come and follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. We talk about three parts. a disciple is following Jesus. As they spend time with Jesus, Jesus would say, um, you know, my disciples must follow me. They must be where I am. I'm going to do this in relationship. Come and follow me. And as you follow me, I'm gonna you've heard things said, but I'm gonna tell you the truth. As we spend time together, you are start to see what I see, there's gonna be a change in you. So you're following Jesus, come and follow me, and I will make you, I'll take you as you are, but i to make you into something else. Following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus. You're gonna become a fisher of men. So if you're not following Jesus, you're not a disciple. If you're not being changed by Jesus, you're not a disciple. If you're not committed to the, to the mission of Jesus, you're not a disciple embedded in Matthew 419 is also the methodology come and be with me in this methodology i'm going to you're going to learn to follow me i'm going to change you and you're going to become a part of my mission and so in our church are you following jesus are you being changed by jesus are you committed to the mission of jesus mm-hmm. if you're not um then we have a problem
2: all right Yeah, that's pretty straightforward. I appreciate it. It cuts right to it. Love that. And I know discipleship.org, that you partner with as well, uses a very similar definition to that and uh, love it very much. Appreciate that. Um, So I think sometimes if people live with some confusion and they try to separate discipleship and evangelism, some think of the Great Commission is all about making new converts, some think It's about making deep disciples of Jesus. But I know that you, in your training and your writing, you link evangelism uh, and personal transformation with Jesus together, just like you did in your definition there. Why is it important that we keep evangelism and personal transformation together in our attempts to define and pursue disciples?
0: Well, um, here's the deal, again, what we're trying to do is raise up people. We we were never told to make converts ever.
2: Right, right. Right? And even if if
0: evangelism was a gift you had, it was a part of the greater body. God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You may be an evangelist who has a gift in that, but it was always to be coupled in the body of Christ with discipleship. Matthew, go into all the world baptizing them, that speaks of introducing and and, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. So the problem with just conversion is you're helping a person be birthed into Christ, right? To make the, the, the jump from unsaved to saved, going from death to life. In a sense, what you're doing is if we were to do with... Physical children, what we do with spiritual children, we'd say, okay, now you're birthed. take you home, maybe not even take you home, go to your <laughs> own home somehow, set you on the couch and say, there's the refrigerator, there's the stove, You, you know, get yourself something to eat. You know, that would be abuse. Yeah. These children, when they get saved, don't know how to fight the enemy, don't know what the truth is. They were supposed to be born again, not just with a new father, but with brothers and sisters, Ooh, that's good. uncles and aunts. They were supposed to be raised up in a spiritual family. And the problem with conversion um, is you've got a bunch of folks left to themselves. And what happens with a child, a physical child, who isn't taught to grow up in Christ? They become spiritual brats, (laughs) right? Physical brats. When we've got a bunch of people who are converted but not discipled, they either, you know, depending on your version of eternal security— they either die spiritually because they never, you know, they never were were cared for, or the best they ever become is a spiritual brat, and then nobody wants to go to a church where ninety percent of the people are spiritual brats who, who <laughs> say that they're saved. But I don't want to be the pastor of that church. <laughs> I mean, why would God want to add to their number? I mean. Yep. It, it's, and that's the truth of it. Most people have been converted but never discipled, which is why they look so immature and the rest of the world can go, I don't want anything like what you have. You're not a family of God laying down your life for others, serving. You're takers mm. who, who are brats, and I, why do I want to go in there and be a part of that? On the other side of it is, if all I do is teach you the deep truths of obedience, remember, that's important, but... All of the things that Jesus taught was to lead to our role is to be the light in the world and to, to help people learn to be disciple makers everywhere they work, live, and play. We are supposed to be unleashing a spiritual army that helps people come to know Jesus and become a part of the family, disciples making disciples making disciples, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, th- those who are really committed with discipleship on the learning side, have missed the whole point of of Jesus makes disciples who go and make disciples. That was the whole purpose. And then it becomes all about, you know, knowing the rules and the laws and what you don't do and and being right. And you ha- you don't have the heart of Jesus, which is to seek and to save the lost. And so it's both and.
2: Yeah, I absolutely. Got to hold those two together and can't separate them. That's right.
1: So the title of your book that put
2: you on our radar
1: screen is Disciple Shift. What shift does a church need to make uh, to be a disciple-making church?
0: Yeah, uh, Bobby Harrington and I uh, outline um, these five shifts from reaching to making. So you're talking about you know, churches that are evangelistic, and there's nothing wrong with being churches evangelistic, but it has to be intentional that this is the next step. This is what we're doing. Um, From informing to equipping, which talks about the wrestler. I want to help you to be a wrestler who understands how to make wrestlers, Mm -hmm. right? Who understands how to um, help other people learn what you know and do what you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Going from program to purpose. So when you're talking about Often programs, um, you're you're looking at um, running these programs that that are not connected to the actual purpose. Like even good things like food programs. Uh, The food program in the right context means that I'm going to meet you with your perceived need and give you something that helps you understand what your real need is which is the bread of life. So there's a purpose behind what you're doing and then from activity to relationship. So again this idea of all the law and the prophets Jesus said hangs on two commands to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbors yourself. And and so often we we're so busy doing activity that we don't really punch into relationship. Uh, where there's accountability, support, carrying one another's burdens, confessing sins to one another. The, the spiritual family is what helps us survive the mission. So hmm. you've got a mission, but you're never supposed to fight that mission alone. It was to be fought together to reach lost people, but help us to, to, to get through the war uh, that the enemy is going to bring against us as we're trying to take territory from them. So, yeah. and, and then the last one is from accumulating to deploying. So that speaks of deploying, launching people into ministry uh, that God has saved them for. In Ephesians two, you're saved by grace through faith. Uh, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Four good works, which God planned for you to do before time began. God has good works for you to do on your mission field wherever you work, live, and play. So you're launching instead of accumulating.
2: Yeah. That's so those
0: good. are the five. I wrote a book called Relationship because um just recently, because so many pastors they know the word and they're skilled but they're the loneliest people I have ever met. Hmm. And sad, but and true. they have a lot variety of different reasons for that. It's because they've been told maybe you don't share your life with a, with your people in your your church because you'll lose your credibility or people will judge you or whatever or or that or you're so busy rescuing everybody that you don't have anybody doing life with you. And so discipleship the mission of discipleship is survived through the relationships that God gives us in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, And so trying to help pastors survive the war by utilizing all that God has given them to actually obey Him in the relationship aspect, not in the in Just in the, the doctrinal understanding, the Bible says to hold your life and doctrine closely, to contend for the, the faith, which includes lifestyle, not just the doctrinal gospel aspect. So uh, trying to help pastors um, understand how God designed you, and it, as the head goes, the body falls. if you're too busy for relationship, then probably your church will be so busy that it doesn't have time for relationship. Mm. And that will kill you.
2: Yeah. yep Absolutely. That's a major shift for pastors to make, absolutely. and it's a, it's almost an addiction, <laughs> for them to have to make that kind of shift. It's a weird thing. Yep. Um, wow. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's most evangelical churches have some kind of small group ministry, but they still stay stuck when it comes to making disciples. What does it look like to actually have small groups that make disciples who make disciples?
0: Well, it's difficult. Because, see, here's kind of the problem. Because most churches aren't relational, it's an activity, it's a box you check. You go and it's an event you go to. When they start to get relationship it's like water to their soul. And now it becomes the purpose of a small group is for us to be in relationship, a family. And that's true. I I talk about uh, a plane has two wings, right? On the one wing is the mission and the other wing is relationship. If it's all about relationship and not mission, then the the plane goes down and that becomes like a little mini uh, uh, click. It becomes, uh, this is our family, us, for no more, it becomes, you know, but if it's all mission and no relationship, then, then we offer them family. We say the words family, but they don't actually develop this, the groups that help them um, navigate the mission that they're on. So the, the key is to go, you know, the group is gonna be as intentional and focused as the leader is.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Um, and in order to have that happen, it means that we're going to have to, as leaders, stay focused, not chasing after the the newest, biggest thing. Um, you know, as far as I know, the mission's been to make make disciples, and that that's never changed. So I don't need to go find some new mission or vision or go to some new conference to do. I have to keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. In, in in sports, you know this: you win with fundamentals. When I when I was at high school national champion, three-time state champion. And I thought when I got to college, they're going to teach me like the special new moves, right? And instead, it was, they started at the beginning and then they said, listen, we're not here to teach you all these new moves. It's to be fun. It's fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals to be able to do the fundamentals so well, you beat everybody Mm -hmm. and to be in good enough shape that you outlast them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so what does it look like to keep the main thing the main thing in the church over time. And what happens is pastors will keep changing and the people pretty soon go, I'm not getting on that because I know we're gonna get started and you're gonna go to some new conference next year and come back and I'll just wait for <laughs> you. You'll be back. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> that never happens in any of our churches. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking yeah. about, Jim. <laughs> Always <And> so, happens. <laughs>
0: for me, see, I in our church and our staff, we have 163 staff. And the way you got on staff was you were a disciple who could make disciples in small groups, right? And now you're able to coach small group leaders. And now you're on staff, and we have what's called the the ministry plan and the personal plan. You're going to get a job where you're going to work 40 hours a week leading ministry systems, discipleship systems. But you're gonna you're gonna be in a small group leading disciples personally ten hours a week. You don't get to leave doing disciple making to 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 uh, to to be a part of a ministry. All these other people have jobs, and then you're asking them to come in and be disciple makers. Right. You you don't get to ask them to do something that you're not actually doing yourself. Mm -hmm. You don't get to ask them to branch their groups and to make disciples in personal life and then ask them. One of the key passages for me was when Jesus said to the Pharisees, you tie burdens on people's back that you won't lift a finger to help carry. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to. So I have three groups. Uh, I have a life group with my wife and I have two men's groups and I'm making disciples. And I'm doing that day in, day out, week in, week out. And everybody on our staff is in small groups, and they're making disciples. And that's not a part of their job. Yeah, that's what they do personally. You're going to live out what we want everybody else to live out, mm-hmm. and and this that changes the way I preach because I'm dealing with regular, everyday people who are dealing with regular, everyday lives wherever they work, live, and play. And so a lot of guys will hi- hide in office and. They don't know what their people actually need because they're not with them. They they speak over their head. They answer questions that they're not even their, their own people don't even actually have. And by living this out in our life, we're raising up people who are raising up. Now we're planting all these churches and we've got all these campuses and we're we're, we're reproducing at every level. But it's all about reproducibility. The other part of this that's really important is when pastors come here from around the country, they'll go. You know, Jim, we just don't have leaders like you guys do. And and so I love to say, hey, the guy that's been leading this conference, hey, Greg, what did you do before you came on staff here? I was a sawfiler at the mill. Um, what What did you do? I was a medical office manager. What did you do? I mean, you have all the same people but you're not making disciples within you'll go and hire somebody from outside. I, 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 in churches of team sport, I talk about um, the difference between a college coach and a high school coach, college coach. And I've been both, they go around the country recruiting already developed players. Mm -hmm. A high school coach cannot get anybody outside of their district. So if they want a program They have to start a little kids program that goes to a junior high program that goes to a high school program, and then they have to raise up coaches uh, and parents and families that are, you know, teaching their kids to wrestle with the same language and all those things. Most pastors in the country, most churches in the country are college coaches trying to recruit somebody that was developed by somebody else. Rather than raising up people from within. These people, the, the, the miracle... The hero of the story in scripture is Jesus, and the miracle is the kinds of people he used to change the whole world Mm -hmm. regular, everyday people, and those are in every church. But you have to decide you're going to coach them rather than be the paid player that people come and watch.
1: Mm. Yeah. Good word, Jim. We uh, appreciate your passion on this whole issue of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And uh, grateful that you uh, joined us and and, uh, poured some of what's in your heart onto our Alliance leaders, uh, listeners to Equipping You podcast. So uh, grateful for you. Thanks so much.
0: It was great to see you guys, and God bless you guys.
1: Thank you. So, Alan, it was good to talk to uh, Jimmy's passionate about the subject of uh, making disciples to make disciples who make
2: disciples. What you're walking away with, man. You'd call him passionate? I did. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's that's very accurate. He's a wrestler. Yeah. I love that. I love that. You know, but I love his story too. You know, going back to him growing up in a home, you know, how many pastors can you describe that didn't understand they could say no to the church without saying no to Jesus. And yet, when it's all said and done, it's his dad that leads him back to Jesus. Yeah. That is beautiful, that's right? Beautiful I, that's just, God is so gracious. So I, I love that part of the story. But I love his uh, relentless commitment to actually making disciples and to only bring people on staff at the church who make disciples. And that analogy between pastors being high school coaches and college coaches, that that's was, pretty good. I'm pretty sure I'm going to use that again. Yep, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, um... Share that with your friends and loved ones and uh, ministry colleagues who are hopefully also your friends. And uh, look forward to episode five next time with Reagan Rose on the subject of productivity. So uh, buckle up and be ready for that one. Meanwhile, keep the faith.
0: Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing it with a friend. For more information about this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.